Hi, I'm Alyssa Milano, and this is Sorry Not Sorry, where we tackle social, political, and cultural issues from the perspective of unapologetic guests while highlighting citizen activists doing amazing things throughout the country. Last week, I sat down with Senator Ted Cruz to talk about gun violence prevention. With me were Fred Guttenberg, whose daughter Jamie was one of the 17 people killed in the Parkland shooting, and Ben Jackson, who co-founded NORA with me. Senator Cruz live-streamed our nearly 90-minute conversation on his Facebook page. What follows is an unedited audio of that conversation. I hope you listen to the whole thing with an open mind and an open heart. Thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you, all of us. And by the way, all of you for joining us. Since the last time I saw you Mm -hmm. was actually at the Kavanaugh hearing Mm -hmm. with the whole handshake fiasco. Thank you for shaking my hand. Absolutely. Because, man, I got blasted for saying I set that thing up. You were there. Um, I was <laughs> nothing of the sort, so appreciate you doing that. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna start, um, and I prepared pretty heavily for this meeting. Okay, um, and there's no animosity at at all. Um, and I woke up this morning with a panic attack. I have anxiety. And it wasn't about you in particular. Um, I think for me, it was about what you represent and what I feel as a citizen of the country. I'm a mom. Mm -hmm. I have two children. Mm -hmm. You're a dad. I am. I didn't know my purpose until I had children. I look at my children and want to give them everything. Sure. All the greatest possibilities. I look at my children and I'm terrified. I don't know how to keep my children safe. Mm -hmm. And it's terrifying. And I think parents across the country feel this way. And I know you're a smart, smart man. And I know that there are things I know. And I know that there are things that we differ on. And I know that you're smart enough to know the perception of what is out there about you. And I know that you're smart enough to know where that comes from. And for many people in this country, your stance has made you almost like this caricature of a villain. Mm -hmm. And that's why this meeting was so important for me because I wanted to be able to look at you in the eye and know that you're really a human with a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. I think there are moments in all of our lives where we learn how to lead. And it could be in any situation, in a family, um, lead in friendships, 
I think the difference between learning how to lead and being a leader is something that we're all born with. And that something is courage. And I'm asking you and I'm begging you to have the courage to lead because I think you could be an instrumental part of this solution for this country and the fear that we're feeling as parents, the not knowing where to go to feel safe because it's everywhere now. And so having courage means being okay with making enemies. You know what having courage means? It's being okay to evolve and see that things are different now than they were when you first came into your power and your strength. Things are different now. Times are different. We can't hold on to where we were. This is an epidemic. And I know this is hard and, and, and just know I appreciate this. I really do. It means so much to me that you're, that you're here. Um, and so it also means a lot to me that uh, you've let me have this moment right now to, to say this, to say my piece. I, um, my biggest fear uh, is actually his reality. And um, thank you for giving the opportunity to Fred to come and look you in the eye and tell you his story. Really appreciate it. Thank you. A absolutely. And, and, and let me say thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Um, for having us. Look, this is a divided time. Yeah. This is an angry time. A lot of America is yelling at each other and feels like we're almost in different countries. And, and there's a lot of ugliness. Um, you and I are coming from different spots in the political spectrum. Yes, I understand. Uh, I think it is quite likely when we leave, we'll there will be issues on which we'll disagree. Of course. But I think it's beneficial for us to have a, a positive human conversation. Yeah. Um, you suggested coming by, you suggested live streaming it, which is what we're doing now. Um, and I hope, look, number one, I hope in actually talking about how do we stop gun violence, how do we stop mass murders, that we can have a, a, a real conversation about policy solutions. But, but I, I also hope that just saying people in different places on the political spectrum treating each other with, with civility and, and humanity. Yes. Um, that, you know, it'd be nice if that was a little bit contagious, if, if, you know. And that's, I mean, not only is this such a huge opportunity to be able to tell you my biggest fears, you know more about me than my therapist right now, but also to be able to um, hopefully set an example that this is something that can be, and, and we don't have to see ever see eye to eye on certain issues. I get it. But I would guarantee you 
more people had conversations like this, we'd realize that we're not as far apart. I I have to believe in my heart that you know it is not okay for babies to have shrapnel in their chest. It's horrifying. I know it. It is horrifying. I know it. Or a 14-year-old girl dying. I have to know that you are not the villain. Because we look at things right now in a very um, narrative way. We're always looking for that viral moment. And um, so I'm so appreciative. Well, and for, for what it's worth, um, you know, you and I are about the same age. I, I grew up watching you and Who's the Boss? And, and uh, Commando, by the way, is an awesome movie. <laughs> uh, Thank you. So, I mean, it, look, I'm, I'm a big TV and movie buff, and one of the amazing things about it is it makes you feel you know somebody even if you haven't had the chance right. to meet them. And that's, that's a great gift of connection and touching people's lives. And, and my, my gift to that is having a platform where I can hopefully impact positive change. Sure. But on top of that, it also gives me the platform to be able to hand over the microphone. Yeah, and, and listen, your fear is my reality. Sure. I, for me, fear actually died on February 14th. Mm. And so, as I think people have seen with me this year, um, when I have things that you do that I feel good about, I'll let you know. And when I don't, I'm going to let you know. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, I do want to talk to you about my daughter. Please. And what happened to Please. her. Um, and the first thing I'm going to do, and I'll tell you the story of that day, is I want to show you a photo. That is my daughter, just a few months before she was killed on a family vacation. She was 14, is that 14. Right? She was 14, forever. That picture, taken the day before she was killed. It's the last picture I will ever, ever, ever have the chance to take of my daughter. That picture, also my daughter. Underneath that black oval, that's her dead body. That's what that is on the third floor, not the first floor, mm-hmm. not the second floor. She was number uh, 33 of 34 to be shot. That's her on the third floor. And that picture is kids running for their lives over my daughter's dead body to not get shot. So I say to you, Senator Cruz, the reason why I do today, what I do today has nothing to do with whether or not I'm a Republican or a Democrat. And when you make it about that, it pisses me off. Okay? It has to do with the fact that my daughter was shot in school. Okay? And I will tell you, if this was Republican or Democrat, go talk to Governor John Kasich and ask him how strongly I support him. Okay? Because I do. Why? Because he wants to do something about this. Go talk to Florida Senator Bill Galvano who passed gun safety measures in Florida and asked him how strongly I support him when the NRA brutally attacked him because he did something about this. This is not Republican or Democrat. While I don't expect you to ever agree with me on a policy measure, but you probably won't, okay? The nonsense about this being a Republican or Democrat issue has got to stop. When the bullets shoot you, God forbid they should ever hit one of your kids, when the bullets shoot you, they don't know if you're a Republican or Democrat. They only know they're likely to kill you. And we need to agree on that. When you do things, like wrap an AR-15 in bacon, and you make a joke, 
Man, that is horrific. Because for me, the AR-15 is the machine that was used to kill. And why did it kill 17 and injure 17? Because of the way it was designed. Again, this wasn't on the first law that my daughter got killed. It wasn't on the second. She was second to last to be shot. My daughter, running down a hallway, it's on video. These are still photos, but the video of it is there. Have you seen the video? Nobody has, uh, but law enforcement. Um, so, and, and God forbid in the trial, it's probably going to be public. And my family will be tormented by it forever. forever. Okay. Because it's going to be a highlight reel video. Yeah. I, yeah. Because she's running down the hallway. He was mid hallway. She made it to the stairwell. She was turning into the stairwell. You saw the picture. One more second, my daughter is alive today. And boom! A single shot severed her spinal cord. No other weapon could have done that. This one did. A single shot. So when I talk to people about gun safety, for me, it's not some make-believe argument over Second Amendment, a bastardized interpretation. Okay? And that is what goes on. Okay? There is nothing I call for that is an alienation to the Second Amendment. HRA is not. Doing extreme risk protection orders is not. Raising the age of 21 like we did in Florida is not. So when you put out these tweets, okay, that make it about a uh, make-believe Second Amendment argument, because it's not. There's nothing I call for that is. Then make it about it's a Republican versus Democrat. It's not. For me, it's about saving lives. I will work with Republicans or Democrats to do that. Okay, when you do those kinds of things, it's hurtful, it's painful, and it's destructive. Because what happens is people take you seriously, and they think the way it is now is okay, and it's not. When you talk about people like me as wanting to remove your right for self-defense, which was the majority of that thread between you and Alyssa that kind of brought this meeting together, that's a load of BS. Nobody's trying to remove your right to self-defense. By the way, I, I have two guns in my household for self-defense. My father-in-law so has a load of guns. This, that's the thing. I'm, nobody here is trying to remove weapons from anybody. Listen, you're a gun owner, right? I am. Okay. Can you pass a background check? Yes. You ever beat your wife? No. Okay. Nobody's trying to take your guns. So the notion that people are is nonsense. The notion that you can't support HRA, even though you're a senator of a state that has people now getting shot in Walmart, on the highway, in schools, uh, I'm missing a church, uh, in every setting. Now, you mentioned the Sutherland Springs, the guy who was there to stop the Sutherland Springs mm -hmm. shooter. How many people died first? How many people died in the Sutherland Springs shooting? I know. Before, before the shooter stopped? Far too many. Far too many. That's the problem. I have no issue with legal, lawful gun owners who are there to properly protect, to use their guns as they see. Please, what I want to do is stop from stop those who intend to kill, those who have hate in their hearts, those who have a known propensity to be violent from having access to these weapons. And no, this isn't just about throwing the mentally ill under the bus. We need to deal with mental illness in a real way, okay? 
But this is about keeping those who intend to kill mentally ill or not away from weapons. I also want to just add to that, to that, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but what is the mental illness of this generation that we're creating that will be cyclical because of the fear that our kids have to deal with every day going to school because of the trauma of even having to do a, a lockdown drill? It's traumatic for these children. Of course. It invokes anxiety, um, worry. Are we creating, are we cyclically creating more mental illness in this country based on that fear? It's a really probable thing. My daughter is 17. She's a senior in high school. She has a lot of medical issues, and she has repeatedly nearly died from those issues. What scares her are lockdown drills, right? She's not afraid of dying from her illness. illness. She's afraid of somebody coming in. But when we're talking about mental illness... When my son went back to school, it traumatized him. Yeah, and when we're talking about mental illness and, 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 and treating the mental... And let's call it mental health. Um, we also have to be aware of what we're creating now that will be future people that get their hands on an AR-15, potentially. Listen, I, I'm just going to say this, because nothing would make me happier. And again, um, I, I consider myself very fortunate for the relationships that I have developed with people since my daughter was killed. Um, and maybe the reason I got up to a different foot with Governor Kasich and I have with you is because of his stance on this issue. I don't have any high expectations that you're going to change your stance. But I will ask you, as a leader in the Republican Party in the Senate, to please do so. Not on the whole gamut. I don't expect you to do that. But just even looking at what happened in Odessa, their likelihood is, had HR8 been law, that would have been stopped. So if nothing else, encourage your party and the Senate to take HR8 up, to take up extreme risk protection orders, of which I know many in your party do agree with. You know, if, if nothing else comes out of this meeting, nothing else, except maybe some little kernel of common ground that saves some lives. It's worth This will have been the best day of my life. Mm-hmm. And honestly, if we walk out of here today um, and your position doesn't change, I get it. You know, I mean, but you're a center of a state that is ground zero right now for the need to do something different. Can I ask you a question? Is there any, do we have any um, idea of the fiscal impact of these mass shootings in these states? Is tourism down in Texas? Is tourism down in Florida? Is there any indication that economically that these mass shootings are hurting? I, I haven't seen any estimates of that, but let me, let me say a couple of things. No, thank you. Um, let me say, first of all, Mr. Gutenberg, what you went through and are going through today and every day going forward is hell. It is to lose a child, there's nothing worse. And and I know you and your family are in pain and agony. It is horrific. It is wrong that your daughter was taken from you, that she was murdered. 
And, and it, when it comes to these mass murders, as you know, Texas has seen a lot of it. Um, Santa Fe High School is less than an hour from my house. I was at home that morning mm -hmm. when Santa Fe happened. I would drove to the school, was there within about an hour of the shooting, and was there with the families, with first responders, with teachers, with that community that grieved. Mm -hmm. um, Sutherland Springs is just a couple hours from my house. I was in Sutherland Springs the day after the shooting. I stood in that sanctuary when it was still covered with blood and shattered glass, pews against the wall. No it, it, seeing that Sutherland Springs Church remains the most horrifying thing I've ever seen in my life. Um, I was in El Paso right after the shooting there. I was in Odessa this week right after the shooting there. So I have been with Texas families crying, grieving over their children, over their parents. It is horrific. It is wrong. And it's screwed up. We need to do more to stop this. Let's do it. I agree. And look, one of the purposes of having this conversation, when it comes to an issue like stopping gun violence, I, I, I think the two sides believe the worst out of each, uh, of each other. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think either of those caricatures are right. Um, if we can start from what I think should be a shared goal, which is act to stop gun violence and stop mass murders like this in the future, then I think we can have a, a, a reasonable conversation about what policies are most likely to produce that. And there may be disagreements. We may disagree on what policies have the I'm biggest impact. I'm the goal for you, because I do have a goal. Um, and I've communicated it. And it's to reduce the gun violence death rate in half within 10 years. It's currently at about 40,000 a year. Now, a good number of those are suicide. So we we must deal with the mental illness or mental health part. Mm -hmm. um, but a good number of those are not suicide, they're homicide. My goal is to reduce that number in half within 10 years. I think that is an admirable goal. Look, I've spent a lot of my life in law enforcement, a lot of my life dealing with criminals, dealing with murderers and rapists and people who commit horrific right. crime. Yeah. And I have been with too many times the victims of horrifying crimes, parents who are grieving their kids. I think we must do much more to keep people safe. I don't want to be in a, at another one of these in Texas. I don't want to be at another one of these anywhere else. Well, your governor and lieutenant governor seem to want to deal with the background checks. I mean, is that something you can get on board with? So, yes, we should strengthen background checks. And, and, and let me share what I think is effective and have a conversation. Because too often it's, caricat it's caricatured as someone who believes in the Second Amendment, as I do, wants to do nothing. And that I is not well. the case. I believe okay. in the Second Amendment. Okay. I'm, not well. I'm not suggesting otherwise. I know you do as well. We all I, believe I'm, in the Second Amendment. Um, so I also believe in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And my yes. daughter will never get to enjoy that. 
Yes. Well, and that's that's one of the reasons I believe in people's right to protect themselves is because I want to save lives. And, and, and if we can agree we're trying to save lives, then we can talk about what's the best way to so, save so lives. So we both agree people's right to protect themselves. Can we also agree that not, not everybody should be, have access to a weapon? Of course. We're, we're comp- okay. So, yes. And, and, and so let's talk about I, I think there are two approaches to gun violence, in my view. One that, that is much more effective than the other. What, what I think is effective is focusing on the bad guys, is focusing on felons and fugitives and those with serious mental illnesses that are a danger to themselves or to others. And I think we need to focus the laws, our efforts to keep firearms out of their hands, our efforts to, if they're breaking the law, to prosecute them. We need to focus on the bad guys. What I don't think is effective, and at least in Washington, and I'm not suggesting you, sir, I'm Mm -hmm. saying in Washington, in Congress where I serve, often the debates focus on law-abiding citizens and restricting their rights. I think that is not effective in stopping crime. How? So so let let me give give an example of of an approach that that I think makes sense. Um, I was elected in 2012, so I started... I'm I'm sorry, but how how does it, the debate, divert to... To affecting law-abiding citizens. So, for example, there are multiple 2020 Democratic candidates for president who are campaigning right now on gun confiscation. They are campaigning on Mm -hmm. forcing American citizens to give up their firearms. I disagree with it. They're not talking about forcing criminals to. They're talking about law-abiding citizens who have firearms to protect their homes, the federal government, forcing them to give up their firearms. If over the past 20 years, if something... If people were doing a meaningful effort to actually address gun violence, I don't know if the conversation would have ever even gotten to the place that it's in today. But the reality is nothing happened. And so I can tell you, sitting here in this room, you don't hear me talking about that. Okay? I, I didn't suggest and you were. But, today that are going on. But, but we that. are seeing Beto O'Rourke. We're seeing Cory Booker. We're seeing Kamala Harris talking about it. We'll get to vote on what they want. So my point is, I mean, if we're agreed that the objective is saving people's lives and stopping murders, I believe the much more effective way is focus on the bad guys rather than law-abiding citizens. I think gun confiscation is a perfect example of a policy that targets law-abiding citizens rather than that. It's what they're campaigning on. Americans will get to vote, but right now we're talking about HRA and extreme risk protection laws. Well, let me step back for just one second. I just think so that we're talking all in the same terms here. No presidential candidate that I'm aware of is saying they're going to confiscate your pistol. Correct. Right. They're going to confiscate your bolt action rifle. They're going to confiscate your semi-automatic non-assault rifle. Right. There are some That's candidates who are talking about removing a particular subclass of weapons. Nobody is saying we're going to come and take your guns. They're saying we may come and take some of your guns. In the same way, at one point, they said we're going to come and take your machine gun, or we're going to come and take your hand grenades, or we're going to prevent you from having Sudafin, right? <laughs> there are, or reduce the amount of Sudafin you can have. So no, nobody is saying we're going to come and take your guns. And I we think don't want to take important. all guns away from right. all people. We want to take certain guns away from certain people. And I think this just goes back a little bit to what Fred was saying earlier about honesty in the debate, right? And what you were saying about the caricature, right? So we have the caricature of gun grabbers on our side, and you have the caricature of aren't everybody all of the time on your side, and neither of those are accurate. But when we use language like presidential candidates want to confiscate your guns, you're telling half of the truth. 
at best. <laughs> and we are sticking in those, those, that ping pong of talking points. And that's not helpful for any of us, right? Three of the 10 remaining presidential candidates on the debate stage are actively campaigning on the federal government actively and forcibly confiscating what is the most popular rifle in America today. Now, you may agree with that policy, that's, that's, but that is gun confiscation. But it's, it's, not, it's not, but, but. Let me ask you, so four months ago, before, the, before any candidate even put that in a platform, what would you have said to me then about why you won't do money? But let me be clear. I, I want to know. Mr. Gutenberg. Not only am I not saying do nothing, I am saying the opposite. Do something. If you allow me, I'll explain what I think we should do. But, but, but my position is absolutely we need to act. When I arrived in the Senate in 2013, just a few months into my time here is when the Sandy Hook shooting occurred. Mm-hmm. Horrific. I was brand new in the Senate. One of the first pieces of legislation I introduced was legislation designed to address gun violence and to get guns out of the hands of violent felons and fugitives and those with dangerous mental illness. It was legislation I teamed up with Chuck Grassley, senator from Iowa, and so it's called Grassley Cruz. Um, that legislation ended up being voted on on the Senate floor. Grassley Cruz got 52 votes, so it got a majority of the votes in a Democratic Senate. This was the Harry Reid Senate. Nine Democrats voted for Grassley Cruz, got the most bipartisan support of any of the comprehensive legislation. Let me tell you what it did, because it didn't pass into law, because Harry Reid and the Democrats filibustered it. They demanded 60 votes. So even though I got a majority, it wasn't 60, and so it didn't pass into law. Um, I've reintroduced it, and I think we need to pass Grassley Cruz. What it did is focused on strengthening background checks. I want background checks to be stronger and more effective and keep keep weapons out of the hands of violent felons and fugitives and and people with dangerous mental illness. Um, Let's take, for example, if I might, the Sutherland Spring shooting, because I believe that was an entirely preventable crime, and the system failed. Mm -hmm. So the shooter there was doubly ineligible to buy a firearm. He had a felony conviction. He had a domestic violence conviction. Now, as you know, either one of those makes you ineligible to buy a firearm, makes you ineligible to own a firearm. The reason the Sutherland Springs shooter got his guns is because the Air Force under the Obama administration never reported his felony to the database. So the Sutherland Springs shooter went in to buy a gun. He he did a background check. He filled out the form. He lied on the form, and they ran the check, and it cleared because the the conviction wasn't in there. What Grassley Cruz did, it had a number of elements. One element was mandating the Department of Justice to do an audit of every federal agency to make sure the convictions are in. The database is only as good as the the data that's in it. And Grassley Cruz was designed to catch convictions like the Sutherland Springs shooters. It also, a number of states and local governments have really poor records reporting their convictions for mental health adjudication. So Grassley Cruz was designed to be really aggressive incentivizing States and local governments get the convictions in the database, get the mental health adjudications in the database so that we know none of this works unless the database has the data. A second piece of Grassley Cruz, and I think this is critically important. For a long time, the Department of Justice has a policy that it very rarely 
prosecutes felons and fugitives who lie on a background check. Mm -hmm. So the Sutherland Springs shooter, when he filled out that form, he checked a box and said, I don't have a felony conviction. That was a lie. Mm -hmm. And it was a felony. It is a felony to lie on that form. He also checked a box and said, I don't have a domestic violence conviction. That was a second felony. Uh, What Grassley Cruz mandated is the Department of Justice create a gun crime task force and we prosecute felons or fugitives who lie on that form. And if Grassley Cruz had passed, if, if it hadn't been filibustered in the Senate, then when the Sutherland Spring shooter went in and lied on that form, the Department of Justice would have prosecuted him and he would have been in a federal prison instead of in that sanctuary murdering innocent men, women, and children. So you asked me how many people were killed. The number should have been zero. And in that instance... If the system worked, we would have put him in jail. I think that's what's effective. Listen, and and unfortunately, in too many of these shootings, the reality is people who want access to weapons have a variety of loopholes to jump through and get access to weapons. Everything that I'd like to do is all about roadblocks. It's not about taking away your right. It's about roadblocks to take away the ability of those bad guys, those who want to kill, to get the axe to weapons. Odessa is the other example. That's a guy who also is a prohibited purchaser. Yes. But you have 300 million weapons on the street. Private sale. And guess what? From there, he was able to go to any old store and buy the bullets. Because while prohibited purchasers are also by law not able to buy bullets. There's no requirement for a background check on bullets. So, you know, listen, there's a lot of stuff we can do. There's, there are ways we can reduce gun violence. We're never going to stop it. You know, traffic lights don't stop every traffic accident. They stop a lot. And at the end of the day, okay, rather than fighting from the gun grabber, Verse, you know, the, the other side. It would be a lot better if the rhetoric actually recognized. Yes, that there was that, that there can, can, that there's a potential for common ground, and we were actually working on it. Okay, and that's listen. That's that's partly us, but it's you also. And and so right it's now, more you than us. <laughs> at this point. We're asking you to be a hero. You, you, you know, Ms. Milano, it's, it's interesting you say that. I would encourage you at your meeting with Democrats, ask them why they filibuster Grassley Cruz. Okay. Because, be, and let me tell you why I say that. Because none of them ever articulated a policy objective to it other than the only explanation that made sense is they were mad that their own proposals that impacted law-abiding citizens didn't pass. And because th- their proposals didn't pass, they yeah, filibustered a law enforcement piece of legislation. Out, who have I been calling out the most over the past two weeks? Uh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes. But if I've been calling out the Democrats, oh, sure. Schumer and those senators who are running for president. And why? Because actually, while I think what Mitch McConnell is doing is horrific, Okay, I actually am equally pissed off at the Democrats who were supposed to be leading and who were doing nothing but saying. So, 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 so I'm calling them out too. I just yeah, and you we need are, to be clear. But, 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 but for well. what it's worth, I mean, look, I urged Mitch McConnell today that we should take up and pass Grassley Cruz. I spoke with the Attorney Florida? General yesterday. What about that background we should, checks? The background, background checks, checks. Bill that's out there now. So, 
I don't believe that would have a meaningful impact decreasing gun But violence. isn't it worth trying? The problem would have stopped Odessa. So I don't, I don't believe it. So we can talk about it. I mean, let, let's talk about that. So the existing law, and, and you guys know this, but, but not everyone watching knows this. So it's, so it's worth talking about what the existing law is right now. Mm-hmm. Existing law is that background checks are required for anyone in America who buys a firearm from a federally fi- uh, licensed dealer. Mm-hmm. That's right. No, so that's existing law, and that's true whether you buy it at at a gun store or uh, a big box store or a gun show. If you buy from a federally licensed dealer, you have a background check. Mm-hmm. What is exempted right now are private person-to-person transactions, right. so not from a dealer, um, whether an instance of a grandfather giving a shotgun to his grandson to go burglary. Yeah. That's, that's exempted from the system. Uh, or two buddies in a deer blind that, that one sells a deer rifle to another. Those, those are exempted. Or one from the gang system. member to another gang member. Mm-hmm. That's the reality. Except for the fact that if you look at actually where the guns used in crimes are coming from, they're not coming from those sales. If you look at, for example, gun shows, a lot of discussion of gun shows, fewer than 1% of the guns used in crimes come from gun shows. That's not where the criminals are getting their guns. And... If you actually want to stop violent crime, let, let's take the Sutherland Spring shooter. His not being prosecuted. Now, there, his conviction was in the database, so they didn't flag it. But if it had been in the database, he wouldn't have been prosecuted. That's not an exception. I'll give you stats from 2010, just because I happen to know that year. 2010, there were 48,000 felons and fugitives who tried to illegally buy a firearm. That's a lot of felons, a lot of fugitives going in. And trying to buy a fire, firearm against the law, the Department of Justice prosecuted 44 of them, 44 out of 48,000. I've had hearings where police chiefs have yelled at me and said, I don't have time for paperwork offenses. And my view is, look, it is not a paperwork offense. If you've got a felon who's trying to illegally buy a firearm, I think we should prosecute him and put him in jail. That is dangerous. And. If you look at Odessa, yeah. so let's take Odessa, for example. So I, I know have, you want to say something. So. That's okay. You can say anything. I'll come in with it. So, so, so listen, <laughs> on Odessa, I have been pressing. I have not yet gotten an answer. I've asked the FBI. I've asked the Department of Justice. The Odessa shooter. We can't get answers from the FBI okay. parking yet either. So I get that. <laughs> and I understand the frustration. I've worked no closely idea. with the Santa Fe families, and I know that uh-huh. can be a, a frustrating process. Um. The Odessa shooter initially tried to buy a firearm from a licensed dealer. He was denied. He was denied because he had been uh, committed, uh, adjudicated to have mental illness and was a danger to himself and others. What I don't know is if he lied on his form. I haven't gotten an answer to that yet. The reason that's relevant is if he did lie on his form under Grassley Cruz, which I'm pushing, pushing us to pass, we would have prosecuted him for lying on his form and we could have prevented Odessa. I mean, this is why if the objective is stop these crimes, I want to focus on policies that really would stop these crimes. And when it comes to prosecuting person to person sales, not from dealers, that I do not believe would stop these crimes. So let's do HRA and Cruz. I mean, they both said. Here's the thing is that we have a serious problem and none of the politicizing of the solution is going to help and none of the rhetoric around 
the guns, the Second Amendment is going to help the, the, the root of this problem, right? Which is people are dying, children are dying. We're in a country that's very fearful. We have to try everything and figure out what works. Isn't that worth it? Isn't it worth it? So, so Ms. Milano, yes. You but, can but, call me Alyssa. Okay, and you, you're welcome to call me Ted. Or Phoebe. <laughs> are your sisters here? <laughs> They're outside. By the way, how many times a week is is, is charmed on, on only reruns? when you're in the gym? It is. I mean, it is amazing. <laughs> I, it's impressive how, how much y'all are on air. Um, Isn't sorry. it worth it? Isn't it worth it? Can't we? Can't yes, we, we should do everything we can to stop violent crime. But but there is a flip side to this, and it's a flip side that I'm very concerned with, which is that guns are also used to stop crimes, and so. But who's stopping that? That's where you lose. You can't, okay. Yeah, and you can't. How how is a how is a security guard who is who, what are security guards carry? Uh, yeah, they carry. If they carry, they carry a nine millimeter pistol. Going to stop it. someone with an air. So it's not just it's not just security guards. This this past week in Houston, a twenty eight year old African American woman was coming home, and a, a group of men came seeking to assault her and surrounded her. She, she had a pistol in her purse and she pulled it out. You don't want to take fired a She was a legal bubble right? Yes. And, so and that's stopped. it. But, okay, but, <laughs> we don't but, want to but, stop her. But that fireman, by the way, I'll say, look, it is a powerful equalizer. I guarantee you that group of guys who came to assault her, if you gave them a choice between confronting a, a big guy, an NFL linebacker without a gun, for a woman with a firearm, one of the great reasons why a lot of women want to, to be able to keep and bear arms is, is to defend themselves in a case of, of physical danger. I understand that. My father owned a pharmacy when I was growing up. When I was growing up, he had a gun. And he, once in his pharmacy, came close to having to have to use it. I, I don't think there's anybody arguing over the rights of legal, lawful gun owners to have weapons, whether they want to use them at a range or for self-defense or whatever. This is about reducing the ability of those who want to harm and kill from having the ability to do it. And so every time you make the argument about self-defense, it's not. We've always been a self-correcting nation. We've always self-corrected. Look at what's happening right now. We have to self-correct this. It's on us. So if I can, can I at least yeah. help you understand the, 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 the millions of well-meaning people who are very concerned about this and don't want to see, for example, background checks on private person-to-person sales? I'll explain why. Oh, I, I, and I've heard it. Um, ex- explained by others, and I um, and, and so, and I'm not suggesting I'm yeah. going to persuade you, but at least want you yeah, to understand that there is it, is genuine and real concern. I would frame it as, as twofold. Number one, if you look at these mass murders, those are not the people who are committing it. So, so this is a proposal. It's the number one proposal championed here in Congress by Democrats, which would have stopped zero of these mass murders that we've seen. It wouldn't have stopped. Santa Fe or Sutherland Springs, it, it, it wouldn't have stopped Parkland. It, it would it, may have stopped Odessa. 
Possibly, yeah. although the evidence is on, it appears that he bought it from an illegal firearms dealer, in which case it would have impacted Odessa. Yeah, and, and we'll find out. We, we will I find out. Those facts are still coming out yeah. in the investigation. Yeah. But here, here is the concern. And this isn't just about mass murders. Okay, when the 40,000 people who die every year, they're not all dying in a mass murder. Okay, in fact, I'll give you. And most of them are dying from handguns. So I'll, let's go to Ohio. Okay, we all know what happened in Dayton, right? Mm-hmm. Two weeks before that happened in Dayton, I was in Cincinnati. It was, I think, the second week of July I was there. When, when did the Dayton happen? It was um, yeah, towards it was, the end of July, right? right? Yeah. yeah. So I was in Cincinnati two weeks before that. Cincinnati had just come off the deadliest month to gun violence yeah. in their history. Okay, 18 people in three weeks. Now, that wasn't a mass, it's the equivalent of a yeah. mass murder, yeah. but it was one-offs. Okay, and in a state where loosening of gun laws has been the norm now for a while. So, you know, listen, this isn't about mass murders. How background checks will certainly stop. I'm not going to say the majority of those, but it will stop some of them. And if we save lives, it's worth it. So so, so, hold on a second, because there are a couple of points there that I I do think need to be addressed. Um, I believe gun control laws that restrict law-abiding citizens are incredibly ineffective. I think they're harmful. I think they actually cost lives. So you ask, isn't it worth saving a life? I don't want to cost lives. And the reason... And I don't think we're pushing for that, but okay. Well, um, you're talking about cities with, with high murder rates. You look at the city of Chicago, Labor Day weekend, they had 42 shootings over Labor Day weekend. Chicago, Chicago is exhibit number one of the failure of national gun legislation. That's correct. Because it, it is. The guns you, come you, in see, that's, see, that's the thing. States. You, your side will bring Chicago as the example of Chicago failure, and I look at Chicago as the example of failure in surrounding cities. Mr. Gutenberg, with all respect, so and I recently had a disagreement with the mayor of Chicago over this. That's okay. Um, Chicago has year after year had among and typically the most murders of any city in America. Now, it's one of the largest cities in America, but it's consistently had a tragically high murder rate. The response the mayor of Chicago gave this week is she said, well, the problem is it's out-of-state guns. It's Indiana. They're all coming from Indiana. i got to say that argument doesn't work. Let me tell you why it doesn't work. She blames it on other states. You know what? Every other city in the country either is in a state where, where firearms are allowed, unlike Chicago, where they're largely prohibited, or is near a state where firearms are allowed. So, so it's the fact that we've got a red state nearby doesn't explain why Chicago's murder rate is so no, much are, higher. Was, there may be other factors happening in Chicago. But, but the, New, but Jer- the, New, New Jersey, Jersey, New Jersey is measuring this now. The state of New Jersey, I think the number is 77%. 77% of the weapons being used in gun violence in the state of New Jersey are coming from outside of New Jersey. California, the same thing. California, so, they're coming from Nevada. So, so, but if you look at... When you put strict gun control laws in place, law-abiding citizens, almost by definition, they, they follow the law, so, so they don't have firearms. The criminals don't follow the law. So what ends up happening in a city like Chicago is the victims are disarmed. I talked to you about the woman who, who was assaulted yeah, in Houston who was able to defend herself. And, and so, and, and I'll we give you... disagree on that whole... On what you just said. So I'll give you a stat. Steve, would you hand me that paper on the desk? Um, By the way, just so I don't run late, 
My flight is at seven. I'm still good on time. We'll, we'll, we'll be good. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I can do this all day. <laughs> you do do this all day, darling. So, so I'll point you to a stat um, that actually came from the Obama White House. Um, and a 2013 executive order, and, he, and here's the language they put together. I'm quoting from them. Almost all national survey e- estimates indicate that defensive gun uses by victims are at least as common as offensive uses by criminals, with estimates of annual uses ranging from about 500,000 to more than 3 million. My, my point on this, it's not a rare and isolated instance. It's a lot of instances where people are facing the threat potentially of imminent harm, maybe physical assault, maybe sexual assault, maybe murder. And the fact that they have the ability to defend themselves, to defend their family, defend their homes, keeps people alive. Let me so tell you something. You go ahead. I live in Massachusetts. We have, among the strictest gun laws in the country, yeah. we have also the lowest per capita gun death rate in the country. In my town, suburban town, 20,000 residents, there are five places people can buy guns. People who want guns in Massachusetts can have guns, Right. We don't have AR-15s. We have some limitations on the number of guns we can buy. But I think that the person you're talking about, the person who's defending themselves, is not buying 20 guns a year to carry on to protect themselves. They're not, it's, it's not a fashion piece. It's not a seasonal economy, right? It's something that they buy to defend themselves. And you can have that. You can actually, and, and in our state, you get your firearms ID from your local police chief. So the people who are interacting with you in your community are the people who are allowing you to have that. We still have guns. You know, we still have guns. You can still carry a gun. You can still get a license to carry a gun. You can still go to a gun range. You can still hunt. Keep hunting is a big industry for us, but we're not getting shot at the same rate. And I'll also add... But by the way, Massachusetts is adjacent to states where you have constitutional carry and you can buy firearms. And unlike Chicago is not saying... The, the massive murder rate. So, so, so the whole argument of Chicago that, gosh, we've got Indiana nearby and that's well, the problem. I would say the population of New Hampshire is substantially different than the population. But, but you can purchase right? a gun in New Hampshire. There are factors going on in Chicago, okay, that are clearly specific to Chicago. The and access, one of the big factors is that but, violent criminals who commit gun crime are too often released and they commit more gun crimes. But, and if but, you want to so, stop it, Put them in jail. But those factors are separate from where the weapons may be coming from. Now, I live in Florida. You know that. And in Florida, after my daughter's murder, we passed gun safety legislation. We shot people. Florida. And you know what? There's not a single legal lawful gun owner who has been restricted because of what we did in Florida. So this notion that taking steps and doing more. And when you said that she was not an anomaly... The mass shootings using assault weapons is also not an anomaly, not and it's happening far too often. And and you, you have your your. I just want to read you something. Okay, sure. Um, I do not believe in taking away the right of the citizen for sporting, for hunting, and so forth, or for home defense. But I do believe that a machine gun, an AK forty seven, is not a sporting weapon or needed for defense of a home. Ronald Reagan. Mm-hmm. But, but Alyssa, as you know, but this is actually this, that's actually a great point. I think one that's important for people watching us to understand. Machine guns are functionally illegal right now. Mm-hmm. And my wife, Heidi, is a native Californian. She grew up in the Central Coast. Beautiful there. We have a lot of family in California. 
I remember a few years ago, she asked me, do, do, do people really need machine guns everywhere? It's a reasonable question. One of the problems of this debate is, and this is true of a lot of the media covering it, it's true of some of the folks following it, is, is that the terminology, they don't necessarily understand what it is. So a machine gun has been functionally illegal for 80 years. You and I, an ordinary citizens, can't purchase a machine gun. Now, a machine gun, which is what Ronald Reagan is talking about there, as you know, you hold the trigger down, multiple bullets come out. That is different from what's called a semi-automatic weapon, which is you pull the trigger once, one bullet comes out. You pull it a second time, another bullet comes out. So it takes a separate trigger pull for each bullet. And that's different from like a revolver, which you have to cock it and then, you know, like the old Western mm -hmm. six shooters. When the media covers it, I think a lot of people hear the word assault rifle and they think it is a machine gun. And, and so there is, is misunderstanding yeah. among people who, I, who are I, not. I, I know you guys understand the difference, yeah, but, but, I, I'm, but, but many in the media don't. And you see it misreported where they don't understand. I'm the a Navy veteran and I carried as a CV. An M16 rifle for four years, where I made from this nation. And that's a machine gun, and that you can't buy privately. The difference, and, and you know this, but maybe these people don't, the difference between that gun functionally is a lever. And that lever says fully automatic, meaning you pull the trigger and the bullets keep going until you let go of the trigger. A three round burst, where you pull the trigger and three rounds come out, and semi automatic, which is the exact same gun as the M16 in all functional ways when it's put on the semi-automatic function. When I trained in the military, we universally trained on the semi-automatic weapon setting. And the reason being is that it is deadly. Um, when you fire, for most people who are not strong, highly trained users of machine guns, when you fire multiple rounds, the gun tracks up. Sure. Right? People you're shooting at are not up. Okay? When you're firing semi-automatic, bam, bam, bam. And when you listen to Parkland, that's what you hear. Bam, bam, bam. Single round burst. And so we're talking, you're right. When you, the, the, the word machine gun, which President Reagan used, was not an accurate description of the AK-47 clone that was used in some of the shootings we recently had. Um, it's not descriptive of an M16 from that machine function that requires repeat firing of a single trigger pull. But from the deadliness of that weapon, from the perception of what that weapon is, to some degree, it's a point. What we're talking about is a highly powerful semi-automatic rifle that is used identical to the way the weapons of war are military use. But it's worth noting is, they, is they are different weapons. So if you look at, for example, the last time we voted on the so-called assault weapons mm -hmm. ban, that was Senator Dianne Feinstein's mm -hmm. legislation. It, it got just 40 votes, so a lot of Democrats voted no. This was in a Democratic Senate. Mm -hmm. The way that bill defined a, quote, assault rifle, it was not based on the firing mechanism. It wasn't that it was a more dangerous weapon. In fact, the firing mechanism was the same as a deer rifle owned mm -hmm. by millions of Americans. It was based on cosmetic features. So, for example, if you took a deer rifle and added a plastic handle to it, that bill would have called that an assault weapon. And, and we had an assault weapon ban in place. It did not have material effect on violent crime. What, what I tried to start this discussion with is if we can agree the objective is keep people safe, 
I, the legislation that I have been, and not just introduced, have been fighting for, have been urging, have reintroduced, have called on the president, called on the majority leader to pass, would have a real impact. It could very well have prevented Sutherland Springs. It might have prevented Odessa. It, it has a, a, a real, it is far more likely to stop violent crime than the other proposals. And I'll tell you what I'll commit to. I'm going to go get more acquainted with that legislation. Please, please. Okay, because for what you described, and you're much more, I think, tuned with some of the stuff than I am, but for what you described, if it's what you say, I can be supportive of that because that is what I want to do is save lives. I also would ask you to rethink your position on background checks. I don't agree with you that they won't make a difference. And I would also ask you to, you know, I'm not even sure currently where you stand on extreme risk protection orders. Um, We have them in Florida and they are working. And the due process component is working. And so, listen, I didn't come here today to actually walk out of here and have us be where we started. I'm walking out of here today hopeful that we can agree on ways to save lives. I think that would be a wonderful outcome. Um, if I can't, I'll answer the two questions you asked because I want to. Yeah. On the first one, on mandatory background checks for private person-to-person sales, the reason why a great millions of people have real concerns about that is twofold. I mentioned one piece, but I want to mention the second, just so, just so folks understand where the concerns are coming mm-hmm. from. One is that that it would not be effective in stopping the kind of crimes that, that have really galvanized the focus and attention on this. But, but the second is, is a re- stop a lot of the 40,000. Yeah. I, I, I have seen no persuasive evidence of that. Isn't and, it worth trying though? This is but, what but, I don't but, but, understand. But, but, you guys keep but, saying that talking okay. point and I get it. But, but listen, I'm really trying to get do. to that second okay. point of why okay. people are genuinely concerned because if you mandate when a grandfather gives a shotgun to his grandson, it has to have a background check. Or when a buddy in a deer stand sells it, sells a gun to a deer stand. The next step to enforce it, many people fear, is a gun registry. That the only way you can know if someone sells a person-to-person gun is to register them. And a gun registry is how gun confiscation is carried out. And, and, and I'll point out, three years ago, if I said... Democrats are pushing gun registration. And I don't mean you, sir. I mean elected Democrats in Congress. That claim got derided as, oh, that's conspiracy theory. That's crazy. We now have three of the top Democratic presidential candidates calling for confiscation. And just today, Congressman O'Rourke called for a national gun registry to enable confiscation. So I'm not suggesting I'm going to persuade you on this. Why are they doing that? Because you have 40,000 people a year dying. But, but, but listen, I don't, I'm going to tell you what I tell my wife all the time, which is I don't live life by the what if principle. I deal with what is, okay? And, and what is, is HR rate. What is, is 40,000 people. Well, Grassley Cruz is as well. I mean, that's, that's one, and then, and, and that's then another I, piece I, of legislation. I to you. In fact, I'm going to you guys with my email. Please. Because I'd love for somebody to send me the legislation. We will do it today. So, Here's my card. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank I you. I don't have a card. Thank you. Okay. But we we were in contact, so we will yeah. send it to you as well. Um, so I guess, Senator, the thing that I would like to ask, the two things I would like to ask you, 
before we leave. That, um, I understand you're a smart guy, and you are a legislator, and you are you, you love the law, right? The, the, from what I understand, yeah. you're somebody who loves the law. I want to know is, do you feel like Grassley Cruz got a debate? You had a discussion. Was it was it not that not 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 was the process perfect? Not to get all the way, but but did it have a chance to be discussed? In the sure, and it got a vote. Yeah, and it got a vote. But, so but but it's worth noting that 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 Mansion Toomey, which has a lot of the elements of the bill you're focusing on, also got a vote, sure. and, and so they were voted on side by side. Totally agree. Listen, I think that um, Alyssa recently put out an op-ed that went through shootings over the last decade, two decades: Republican administration, Democratic administration, Republican Congress, Democratic Congress, split government, and they all sucked. Right? As far on this issue, nothing happened over and over again. Always failure. Yep. But there's debate, right? You had you. On your bill, you had a debate and a vote. So I guess is, do you not think that the Senate should offer that debate and that process on the bills that exist before it right now? Do you think that one person, because that's where it is right now, is one person as a leader of your party is stopping the debate, right? I'm not asking you to even vote. Well, well we are having the debate. I mean, the, the public policy debate is, is, is raging. So let me and- tell you this, though. Um, HR March 4th, was second read to second read in the Senate. It's not even a Senate committee. It's nothing. Nothing's happened. Okay, it's just read. Violence Against Women Act. Renewal of, of hugely popular act. Read into the Senate the second time, April 2nd. Not even a Senate committee. We're not having a, We're having a public debate. We're not having a, a policy a debate. Governmental. Yeah, so governmental. so here, here is one of the challenges, and this is just where Washington is right now. Look. We're divided and angry and fighting. If you look at the Nancy Pelosi House, they're passing lots of bills that they know will never pass into law. They're not. So there are a couple of ways to legislate. One wait is a minute, wait a minute, wait a there was nothing coming out of the House before. Okay. Wait, wait, with wait, with wait, all respect, that's wait. not true. And we had Republican majorities in both houses. We passed a lot Do of legislation. Think, and this is an honest question because I'm not an insider. Bills like the Veterans Child Care Act, which passed bipartisan passed through the House and has died in the Senate. That's not worth bringing up for a vote. You don't think that's political? So I, I don't know that specific piece of legislation. I'm happy to have our team go and look at that. I mean, there, it basically there said are thousands of bills that are introduced on both sides. So that I don't. When, when veterans are in the hospital for a long stay, that there should be child care provided. So, so, so what I'm saying in terms of where the Nancy Pelosi, Pelosi house is mm-hmm. right now. How about the breastfeeding it, act? It is, I suspect, I, I Certainly support the right of people you know, to breastfeed. So I, 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 I mean, on the ti- I don't know what the substance of the bill is, but on the title of it, I would support it. I think in, in, the, in I mean, the interest of Heidi breastfed our children, and it's a wonderful thing. I mean, my, my point is just this: I don't want to debate. There's, there's, a, no, 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 no. But, 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 but I, I do want to make a point. I'm sorry. That go ahead. Things please. are not progressing, even that should yeah. be bipartisan. They should be nonpartisan, and they're not pro- progressing. And when the public, and this is this is what I want to leave you with. We're all we're we're all, and you can tell me what you want to leave me with. But when the public sees this divide, we feel helpless, and we want our government to work for us, for the people, yeah. and it creates hostility between the parties and how our political ideology and how we view the other side. So what I want to I want to leave you with when you send out social media tweets, and I know that you are 
playing to your audience. I want you to be mindful of not creating more divide. Mm-hmm. That's all I want you to do. And just be mindful that we ha- this has to function. We have, we have to do something. We cannot not do anything anymore. Okay. Too many people are dying. So I agree with what you said. I, I want to echo and reiterate it. I, look, I'll make a point for those watching. The, the way this came to be, this, if people were predicting what would happen this week, Everybody you and I sitting me, down would Don't do it. He's going to use you. He's going to placate to his, yeah. But the way this came to pass, you sent a tweet where you asked, can somebody show me where in the Bible owning a gun is a gun God-given mm. right? Um, I saw that. Um, as it happened, I was actually sitting by the pool with my girls. They were swimming in the pool. I was with Heidi. It was, I think, Sunday afternoon, if I remember right. And I decided to engage in that substantively. So I, on my phone, typed out a response. It ended up being a series of 10 tweets where I said, listen, that's, that's a serious question. And, and it, we ought to treat it without the snark of Twitter. Mm-hmm. So I, I can tell you, I try to engage in issues without going into personal and nasty attacks, without going into the gutter, without giving into the viciousness of the moment right now. And both sides are guilty of that. That's- so can we also stop the caricatures? And can we also stop making videos with bacon wrapped around an AR-15? Because you're talking about villains and snarkiness. That's pretty snarky. That was not insulting and impugning anyone's character and, and suggesting, as you see in these nasty fights, that, you know, as gets repeated all the time, you have blood on your hands. I mean, that, that, that's how this is discussed, is, is that you're, uh, I forget what your thing was, like a you know, villain, you know, cackling for people to die. Okay, that doesn't help the discussion. And you know what? I guess there are some, these psycho murderers are are that, but there are rarely people in public life that are actively seeking to cause human suffering. That 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 we may have disagreements about the best policies to protect people. And for example, I want to make sure people's right to self-defense is protected because the up to 3 million people a year who are defending their home, I want to protect their lives too. But I do think it's really beneficial that we're having a conversation on substance. I agree. And if we agree we're trying to solve a common problem, look, in 2017, I did um, three town hall debates with Bernie Sanders. He and I disagree on a lot of things. I mean, we're very different places politically, but we did one on health care, two on taxes, um, 90 minutes each on substance. I think we need a lot more of that where we actually engage positively. Um, I want to see Grassley Cruz passed. I'm pushing for it. I don't want to, I don't want to do nothing. I want to put the dangerous criminals who are taking people's lives in jail so that they don't take anyone else's life. Um, and when it comes to working and, in, and, and when it, and, and prevent them from getting guns and, and keep them from getting weapons yes, before they, yes, absolutely. Crime. Absolutely. Yes. And when it comes to, to working bipartisan, look in seven years in the Senate, I, I passed quite a bit of bipartisan legislation. Um, actually earlier today, I, I met with, uh, a veteran who was at Fort hood when Nadal Hassan committed his terrorist act and, and, yeah. and murdered 14 innocent souls. And at the time, uh, the Pentagon, the Obama administration, 
didn't characterize that as terrorism. They called it workplace violence. So they denied everyone who was murdered and everyone who was wounded the Purple Hearts. And so I introduced bipartisan legislation to award them the Purple Hearts. It passed the Senate with Democratic support, Republican support. I was there in Fort Hood when the Purple Hearts were awarded. That was one of the first bills I passed in the law. Um, just a little over a month ago, I, I joined with Senator Tim Kaine in passing a resolution in the Senate condemning anti-Semitism. We're seeing a rise of anti-Semitism yes, across the are. country. And we saw the House try to pass something on anti-Semitism and fail. They, they, the, the, the Democratic caucus fractured. They couldn't agree and they couldn't pass a clean resolution on anti-Semitism. I wanted the Senate to do better. So I approached him. I said, let's, let's come together. Let's clearly, let's unequivocally condemn the evil that is anti-Semitism, condemn the bigotry of the BDS movement. We drafted a clear and unequivocal resolution, passed 100 to nothing. We got unanimous agreement. Um, actually, Grassley Cruz, when it was voted on, as I said, we got nine Democrats on it. I th- believe that is more bipartisan support than any of the other comprehensive legislation. So I'm looking to send me the legislation. Okay, I, I we will do it today. So, so and then I'm just going to ask to step back just a little yeah. bit. And then I'm going to. Okay, you got to So, um, uh, and I know we're running out of time. We've been 90 minutes. I got time. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah, and I, and I do appreciate it. And I, the one question I'm asking, I don't mean this is a gotcha question at all. I really mean that this is an important part of the policy mm-hmm. debate. You were able to name the terrorist in Fort Hood. Yes. Can you name the man who shot Squirrel Hill? The shooter in the Squirrel Hill uh, in the temple. In the temple. So, so I think that but the reason I ask this is not, not to catch you on that, but I think that our government needs to look beyond... Yes, there's a rise in anti-Semitism. There is a rise in anti-Islamic hate. There is a there is a rise in, in white nationalism. hate in white nationalism in all of these things, and they're all terrorism. And we need to be able to focus on those things. But beyond that, I just want to step back and say that you said that we all um, need to have more discussions like this, and I absolutely agree with you. But the thing that I'll tell you is that Fred doesn't get a vote in the United States Senate unless it's going to vote in the United States Senate, and I don't get a vote in the United States Senate. But you all and have you voices, know, and you have we, strong voices. We do. And we're going to use them and we'll continue to use them. And I hope we can continue to have discussions like this. But the people who can do something are you, right? And you in the United States Senate. We can be loud. We can advocate. We can campaign. We can run for office ourselves. We can do these things, but we can't vote in the United States Senate right now. And you can. And you say that these bills coming out of the House are not going to pass. Okay. So debate them, make them better, pass them, or vote them down. Do that part, right? And and you know you know what I'm saying, like okay, but and you can't you can't do everything, but but there are some big things that we can agree on. So let me respond to that two pieces. One thing that I actually feel very strongly about is that I don't repeat the names of these mass shooters. And actually, you, the Nadal Hassan point is a good point. I did repeat his name, and I'm not sure why, but I consciously I don't. The Parkland shooter, I won't say his name, or the Santa Fe shooter, or the nope. Sutherland Springs. These are evil bastards who should burn in hell and okay. and they want infamy we should celebrate we, your we should celebrate we <laughs> should celebrate those who lost their lives we should celebrate the heroes who risked their lives to save others but but and, and i've urged the media i've urged people just don't say their names they they they, they deserve you full punishment and then to be say something and then i'm going to kind of end my point because i'm glad you said that because it really does bring this full circle on Friday, I was in New York, and the reason I was there, 
my brother was added to the New York Fire Department 9-11 Memorial Wall. My brother ran the triage for the World Trade Center. He was thank, a doctor. Thank you for that. So, did, did, did he survive or was he, was he it, it's, it's an amazing story because he hid out in a room with 10 doctors at a basement level. Mm-hmm. And that room, everything around the turned to rubble, that room didn't. Wow. They spent 16 days at ground zero wow. treating people. Wow. 2013, he got the cancer that came with it. He died October of 2017. Mm-hmm. Four months later, my daughter was killed. Mm-hmm. I tell you this because we do. We have a country full of amazing mm-hmm. heroes that we need to protect. But the reality is when that happened, when 9-11 happened, this country took steps that probably made politically a lot of people very uncomfortable mm-hmm. to save lives, to make sure it never happens mm-hmm. again. Okay. And so I just want to leave you with that. Gun safety for me is no different than 9-11 was. Now I've lost somebody to 9-11 and I've lost somebody to gun violence. Okay, that is why I don't want to get caught up in the BS arguments that run people all over the place, but and no, ultimately nowhere. Um, I want to do something about this, and I would be much happier with a bipartisan supported bill mm-hmm. with your support, okay, than not. Now, I'll keep fighting for these bills sure. with or without your support, but I'd rather have it. And how amazing would that be if you were that? If that was your legacy, if Ted Cruz stepped up, worked this out, and and you helped us fix this problem, I can't think of a more amazing. Well, and amazing and, and let me say a couple of things. I know you've got to catch a plane, yeah, so we need yeah. to be respectful of everyone's time. They, say, they're really happy to step. <laughs> <laughs> let me say thank you also for turning your pain in into try, trying to have a lasting and positive legacy. That that. The agony you and your family felt, it would be easy for that to okay. paralyze you and overwhelm you. And and thank you for, for channeling that into fighting to make a difference. I, I that that takes courage. And and it means you also have to relive what happened that day and talk about it. So thank you for that. And 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 Alyssa and, and, and all three of you, thank you for just having a, a real conversation. Thank you um, for the I, opportunity. I, I think that's I beneficial. Really, I really appreciate the opportunity. Please do something about gun violence I, in our country. I, you have my word. I will continue fighting, and I want to stop these criminals before they carry out their crimes. Okay. And keep on getting access to weapons. Absolutely, yes. So, thank you. Thank you. I just like to leave this with you. Oh, okay, great. A little bit of information um, about sort of what we're talking about, and a little bit, you know, I think where we are is that the relationship with the Senate and the people are just broken. Okay. And I think conversations like this can go a little bit away. And I'm also uh, going to say, I will give the Democrats as much hell about working together because I don't. The thing that's been so frustrating for me is is having uh, that we should celebrate bipartisanship. That's how it's supposed to work. We're, Absolutely. We're, we need to keep working towards that, even if it's not working there right now. And I know it's so easy to get wrapped up. Trust me. Thank you. I'm going to have Thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Thank you for your time.
So when my meeting with Senator Cruz was scheduled, almost everyone told me not to do it. It's a photo op, they said. He'll never change his mind, they said. He's evil, they said. And I'm sure people said much the same to him about me. But here's the thing. We'll never change a single thing if we only talk to people we agree with. In our echo chambers, we only hear ourselves. I had the opportunity to speak with someone who has the power to do something. The worst thing I could have done was not taken that meeting. The goal of activism has to be change. It can't be fundraising and it can't be press releases. It has to be effective. And guess what? The goal of governance should be about the same. In order to get there, we have to have difficult, uncomfortable conversations. Now, I don't think we changed Senator Cruz's mind about the remedies to gun violence prevention. He certainly didn't change mine. But I think we came out of that meeting with a different understanding of one another. Maybe we see each other's humanity. Maybe we found a little common ground on a few things. And maybe, just maybe, these hard conversations get a little easier the next time because we had the first conversation. And with enough of those conversations, we can be effective. I asked Senator Cruz to have the courage to lead, to implore his party leaders to allow debate and votes on the universal background check bill and the violence against women renewal currently sitting in the Senate with no action taken. I really hope he'll do that. And I ask those of us who are activists to have civil discourse, go beyond the tweets and have real meaningful conversations with those we oppose. Because that is where the transformation lives. Sorry Not Sorry is executive produced by Sim Sarna and Alyssa Milano. That's me. Our supervising producer is Allison Bresnik. It's edited by Josh Windish. Music by Josh Cook and Alicia Eagle. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and spread the word. Sorry Not Sorry. Sorry Not Sorry.